We want to be the USAA for youth sports. We want to help support them with all of their health and safety, their PNC and and, uh, commercial insurance needs and all of their financial needs. And so all of these things are just examples of how we're surrounding that organization with services that are commodities, but we're reducing the margin. If there's an organization making money on commodities in youth sports, we want to kill that space. And our focus is to build more resources and services around that organization, increase our buying power, and then, of course, uh, grow our wallet share poor organization. Welcome to MGA Founders Podcast with Socotra CEO, Dan Woods. Tune in each episode to hear Dan chat with innovative MGA founders to learn their stories, their challenges, and their visions. And now our host, Dan Woods. Tyree Burks is the founder and CEO of Players Health. Players Health is on a mission to create the safest and most successful environments possible for kids to play the sports they love by providing innovative and connected athlete safety and insurance products and services to the youth sports market. Tyree, thanks for joining me. Hey, Dan, man. How you doing? Really appreciate you having me. Uh, Super excited to be here. Doing all right. I think last time I saw you, we were in Minneapolis, your town, for the on-ramp conference. We were, yeah. Uh, that panel was awesome. Uh, also, just a lot of lot of things that I've learned, but also really excited to be on that panel as well. So thanks for having me back. Um, yep. But yeah, really, that definitely was a, a cool event that we were at. Yep. And I think for anyone who missed it, um, and this is going to be out, I believe, by ITC, hopefully, but join us at the ITC panel on the 20th, 2.15 p.m. for the um, the Socotra workshop is going to have uh, Tyree there um, again talking about your journey, which we're going to get into here as well a bit. So first off, um, so Players Health is a lot more than insurance, although obviously we're focused on insurance here. Could you have kind of the broad scope of, um, we've heard the mission from the the, the intro here, but um, make it real for us. What are we, what are we, what are you doing? Absolutely. And so I'll talk a bit about kind of how we got going into this, but it'll, it'll frame up kind of really what we're doing. But when you look at youth sports and how kids are playing sports, most kids just want to play. And what we've identified, and I think what I've identified in starting players health is that, you know, the health and safety of an athlete uh, has not changed very much since I last played. So when we think about mm-hmm. policies and protocols around how we manage injuries, when we think about uh, abuse prevention, I think one of the things that we're tired of seeing in players' health is we're tired of seeing the headlines. I think we've gotten to the point where the headlines are so frequent around abuse in sport, around um, you know altercation between a parent and a, and a ref, or or very serious or catastrophic injury. We're seeing these incidents so frequently; they're not as shocking to us as they used to be. And I think our focus at Player Sales is to provide sports organizations with the tools and resources to mitigate risk and also support them um, economically with making sure that they save money on their largest expense, which happens to be their property and casualty insurance. And so I think at, at its core, we are focused on supporting organizations with creating that safer environment and all the technology and resources that we provide help them do that on a day to day basis. Okay. Great, great. So, um, how did you get it into insurance? Because you're doing, you're doing, you're doing a much broader scope here. Let's talk about. Let's focus on the non-insurance part. Then, of course, we're going to 
talk a little bit yeah. about insurance. Like, what is what is the experience like? What do you provide? How do you help? How do you move that mission along? Absolutely. And so, me getting into insurance was definitely a roundabout way. We started as a risk management company. So, Players Health had been around for about seven years. Prior to starting Players Health, I was playing in a Canadian Football League where I played wide receiver. Yeah. I had a ton of injuries throughout my entire career. I have three bulging discs in my neck. I ended up tearing my hamstring off my tibia. And when I hung it up, I started volunteering. I started coaching my son's team. He's 16 now. At the time, he was nine. And I I, I started to see how organizations were struggling to create that safer environment. So when it came to injuries, for example, and that's how we started, we created an injury management platform for sports organizations. Well, how does that play out in real life? A kid gets hurt. Say they have a head injury, Mm -hmm. for example. There are laws that require sports organizations to manage a head injury in a very specific way. One, it should be documented. We need to collect a medical clearance before return, return an athlete back to play. Our system just ensures that those policies and that protocol is followed. So we're making sure that not only did we document that this incident happened, And then we're making sure that we have the proper prerequisites before that athlete is returned back to play. That was how we started the company and building kind of an electronic medical record for athletes. I think quickly we realized that injuries weren't the only thing that these sports organizations needed to manage in terms of risk. And USA Gymnastics, Penn State, that was front and center for us at that Mm. time. And what we recognized is that a lot of organizations struggle with managing incidents. So how were incidents being reported? And then the organization itself were still following up on those incidents. We saw this as a really big problem. So if I have an incident reported by an athlete about a coach and I'm an administrator, the likelihood that I know that coach personally is very high. Am I going to treat that coach in a very unbiased way? I have bias against that coach because I know them. And so we created an an incident reporting software that allowed any athlete, coach, or parent to anonymously or privately report an abuse incident. And then that led us into actually managing the the investigations on behalf of the organization. And so there was a, a slow progression where we started to think about risk management more holistically. It wasn't just an injury or it wasn't just abuse. We started thinking about all of the resources and services these these organizations needed to follow. And the legislation was driving us in that. So there are specific laws around head injuries. There are specific laws around education and training for coaches. There are specific laws around how they manage abuse. So we created a platform to help them manage that. That was the first three and a half, four years of player's health. Hmm. Yeah, because I was thinking they're likely to know the coach. They're not likely to know the local laws and what they're required to do. They might exactly. do, not do enough or do the wrong thing. Um, and a really interesting point, I remember I, when we first met in Minneapolis, it's almost a year ago now, um, you're also talking about the case of children who play more than one sport. Right. So they may have a head injury in one sport. That means that they can't do anything for a while uh, playing football. But then the hockey coach doesn't know and sets up, sends them out on the ice. Absolutely. And these things happen all the time. Think about how many sports kids play. On average, kids are playing anywhere between 2.3 sports a year. And they're playing all year round now. And so making sure that there is clear communication, transparency around how we're managing health and safety to athlete is really important. And then when you think about it, when we first started this, you know, we had a couple hundred sports organizations at that time. As we continue to grow, 
our services, the number of clients we supported, we started to collect massive amounts of data. And so in the past seven years, we've uh, we've documented over 106,000 incidents and injuries oh, that wow. we are managing. Uh, and so just think about the incidents and the information that we have on injuries, mm-hmm. on abuse that really help us get a better sense around what is a good organization in terms of how they manage their risk and, and who's a bad organization in terms of that they need help and support to kind of rehab the program, so to speak. Hmm. And then um, that's across um, in the U.S. and you're now in Canada. Absolutely. Yeah. So we support over 50,000 sports organizations in both U.S. and Canada, all sports. So there's not one sport that we're not mm-hmm. currently, whether it be, you know, water skiing, wakeboarding, whether yeah. it be snowboarding uh, or football and your, your, your big ball sports, baseball, basketball, things like that. Well, I suppose the laws don't care. Oh, discussion. <laughs> doesn't matter if you fell off a balance beam or got tackled. 100%. And I think when you think about kind of how this company has progressed, how we got into insurance was we started to collect all of this information and we started to connect with a number of insurers. Now, those insurers have a loss control fee that they pay mm-hmm. um, for risk management, for uh, you know, some type of technology or information that organizations could use to help mitigate risk. Well, we started in the insurance industry by leveraging our technology at no cost to the client, and we take a loss control fee anywhere between two and five percent of the premium. That was my first introduction mm-hmm. into insurance, where you know we realized that sports organizations didn't spend they don't spend thousands of dollars on risk management. Um, they don't they have you know they're very cash strapped. So how can we find an organization that needs the information that we're aggregating, uh, but would also be willing to pay for it? And uh, the insurance carriers was the way that we we thought that that would be the best. And we started to grow very quickly in that a large number of our carriers wanted to implement our technology. Now, where along the line of the company was that? I mean, you've been running for, what, eight years now? Yeah, we're rounding up to our eighth year now. And that was probably about... Four, four and a half years ago. Okay. So the first half of the com- of the company, you weren't thinking about insurance at all. You're thinking Absolutely. About- it was the furthest thing from our minds, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're not the first one to settle to do something else and end up in insurance, I think. <laughs> that um, You've been around the industry a few years now. You've seen that's a common story, I'm sure. And I think that's the biggest differentiator. We started with a broker during MGA in the beginning Mm -hmm. and then tried to build risk services afterwards. It would have been extremely hard to do because we would have had to do something that it's really hard for us to do in insurance is we have to start shaving margin. So you have to build technology, increase your cost so that you can have those services. Fortunately, we built that foundation first. And then the funding mechanism, which is what we call the insurance, Mm -hmm is what we added afterwards. And so we set up our brokerage. And then from there, we, we did our brokerage our first year, we did about a million dollars in premium. Uh, we set up the MGA in year two. Um, through the MGA and the brokerage, we did about 7 million. And then this year, um, mm. we're rounding at about 30, 35 to 40 million this year. Oh, wow. It's yeah. nice growth. And of course, um, we're, on the, we're on the tech side and you know, full disclosure, Health is a customer of Socotra's. How's the tech evolution gone? Because you start, your needs are pretty simple at the beginning. You're just dipping a toe. Correct. And now you're full on deployed internationally. Uh, tell us about that journey. 
Well, I think the biggest um, learnings that we had was that I'm happy that we didn't start technology and build out the platform on our own day one. Um, we would have wasted a ton of money along the way. Mm. When it came to setting up our MGA and building out kind of our, our policy admin system, we want we went manual in the beginning. And this was something I shared on our, yeah. uh, on our panel that we uh, when we were on the panel that uh, on ramp mm-hmm. was because we didn't know any, we, we knew very little about insurance at that time. Um, mm-hmm. We started to focus on some of the large organizations. So our average premium was north of 100K uh, that we were focused mm-hmm. on. But it allowed mm-hmm. us to be able to manually, um, you know, provide those policies I think there's a bunch of things that we learned through doing it manually that allowed us to be able to have really uh, clear requirements around what we needed from a technology perspective to scale. And so Mm -hmm. that was how we started. We went after, you know, one of our large, our first big account, that million dollar account, um, 800K of that was one client. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. it was, and then we had probably about a couple hundred small policies that made up the other 200K. And so I think we went bigger in the beginning, had a really clear understanding around what we needed to build. And so when we did connect with you guys, we were able to move a lot faster because we weren't trying to figure it out. We knew exactly what we needed and you guys were able to move quick enough so that we can get up to market, uh, get to market quicker. Yeah. And we see the whole range. We see folks like yourselves who have done it manually and they know what they want. And then there are ones that are don't want to build it more than once and but then so they want to jump straight to the full solution um but then they've got some figuring out along the way um so it kind of definitely seen it both ways um your approach certainly makes it certainly makes it easier for us when someone knows what they want but we do work with them do work with it both ways i do know that from our side um or i should say just in general i tell my team before you automate anything do it manually three times Love because it. that manual work is where you just you, you learn so much. Sometimes what you learn is the thing you think you have to automate because you're going to do it all the time. You actually don't end up doing that much. And then something else, um, you end up, you know, spend the automation somewhere else. You know where the gains are going to be. You, there's so much you don't know until you do it. Yeah. And I think as you as you get to market with your digital solution, you, you now understand you, there's trade offs. You can figure out what you want to automate in the beginning and then. Maybe for the MVP, these aren't things you you've made a decision not to automate. They're going to be manual in the beginning, yeah. and then you're going to get more efficient as you go as you get to more scale. You know, so now that we have thousands of of these organizations buying policies, of course we mm-hmm. need more automation. But in the beginning, uh, it, it was it was okay for yeah. us to not have everything automated in the initial launch. Yeah, yeah, I know we've had clients who there's some element, some process that they're convinced day one. This has to be automated. And they let it slide till after launch, do it manually. Of course, they can automate anytime, open APIs and so forth. But then sometimes they they find they make it surprisingly far without that automation. Maybe it's two, three years later, and that thing that had to be automated day one, they're like, well, maybe this only comes up once every six weeks and someone spends 20 minutes on it and it's done. <laughs> you have to do a whole lot of that to justify even spending one engineer for a week building the automation. Absolutely. I can give you an example of it, it happening in a reverse for us. We assumed that we could uh, manually do our COIs in the beginning. Uh, we didn't anticipate for us to have a massive summer in our first year. We had to issue over 14,000 COIs and we did it manually in that first year. It was the most painful 
60 days of our lives. And then, of course, we built an automated portal specifically for these sports organizations to go in, get their COIs. And then, of course, now it's completely streamlined and no one needs to touch it. But super painful of learning that in the reverse. <laughs> yeah. And some context, COI, I assume a certificate of insurance. And that's something the organization has to do in order to do sports, in order to... Yeah, to rent their court, field, or ice. And that was one of the biggest things that we learned in that... I can sell uh, for a league. I may have 20 local clubs as a part of that league. And yes, we, we, we sold the policy to the league, but we realized that every club may have five or six different COIs that they need or certificates of insurance that they need to rent their field or to travel to this tournament or whatever they need to, need to go. So that one organization could have 100 COIs that we have to issue. And then, of course, when you have thousands of them, uh, it, it aggregates pretty quickly. And so definitely something we learn. And um, uh, it, you, there's, there's always going to be some of those kind of um, manual versus automations in the beginning that you either get right and it helps you be more efficient so you can grow faster or you get wrong. And, you know, you're going to have to figure out and build a plan as you as you're flying it at the same time. Yeah. Right. Then um, let's see. So. Focus primarily is on youth, but you um, there are a lot of adult you know, sports leagues, so forth, um, bowling leagues, softball, things like that. Um, thoughts on that, getting into that? Have you gotten into that? We have. I think when you look at what we're providing with players, health, think amateur on down. So everything but professional sports is really where we are supporting the market. And so we have a large number of, you know, think about your your tackle, you know, semi-pro leagues or something like that. These are organizations we would definitely write. Um, we just bought a big K-12 through um, um, MGA, and we're now supporting a number of K-12 through um, organizations, specifically on their student mm -hmm. accident and, and their secondary insurance, specifically around sports. And then fitness is also a big uh, market for us that we're growing. And so when we look at an athlete, we're thinking about what do you all do fitness. Uh, we, uh, do, we do all the property. Sports. Absolutely. Well, we do fitness or orange theories, punches, your uh, your anytime fitness. So if you're a boutique fitness club, mm -hmm. uh, we write a lot of those hundreds of them. And so oh, wow. the fitness, we, we launched the fitness arm of our business earlier this year. Uh, I think it was like January, February. And um, we've been able to make really good headway in that market uh, over the course of the, uh, the past few months here. Okay. That's a good one. Because, I mean, there's there's a ton of these small gyms, especially now because you've got, I was going to say, now you've got CrossFit gyms, but I'm damn, that was 10 years ago. I don't know what the latest is, but, I mean, these, these things pop up. Yoga studios, CrossFit, a lot of non-traditional gyms. Absolutely. Clubs. They're clubs, they're, they're, they're boutiques. And I think one of the things that is a big misconception with our business is that a lot of people assume that we had this small TAM, a total addressable market for context, mm -hmm. and that you think youth sports, but when you think about amateur sports and fitness, like this niche is almost like a super niche. You know, there are hundreds of thousands of small businesses that we, that, that we have the opportunity to support yeah. that generate, you know, Anywhere between eight to twelve billion dollars of premium, and then if you add mm -hmm. other lines of business that we now are starting to support, like employee benefits, um, it, the, the TAM is dramatically larger. And so, 
the the opportunity for us is big, but it's a it's a niche. It's really sports and fitness is really what we want to own the space. Both here, U.S. and Canada, we want to be a global uh, partner in this. So um, you you get into employee benefits and such, so you can be a one stop shop for I mean for like the um, fitness center, fitness club. Absolutely. So we we just bought an uh, employee benefits broker that focused on employees. Uh, organizations that have employees of 50 uh, uh, W-2s or less. That's a sweet spot for us because most of your boutique clubs, you know, don't have more than 20 W-2s. And then when you think about sports, youth sports, amateur sports, they may not have more than five to 10 W-2s, but that's the sweet spot. No one's focused on them. When you think about large employee benefits broker, they're they're not getting out of bed for anything less than, you know, 50 to 100 W-2s. But when you have mm-hmm. thousands of those organizations the way we do, you can roll up that market pretty quickly and it becomes mm-hmm. economies of scales. And, you know, you end up having yeah. instead of doing, you know, five, if you got 5,000 organizations that have five, five W-2s, you know, you got 25,000 lives. That is a pretty big book of business on the employee benefit side. But we're adding a ton of value for a demographic that has almost been ignored in this space. Okay. And I was um, also curious about the size of these because you talk about size of W-2s. Um, I was a little surprised earlier when you were talking about the, the size of premiums. You're talking six-figure premiums. So this isn't going to be like a single sports team. This is going to be like the whole league. Or wh- who do you normally deal with in a sale when you're dealing with youth sports? Absolutely. So we have our company, the way that we look at kind of our demographics, it's kind of three segments. We have what is called custom accounts. Those are large deals. Those are your USA Boxings, you know, USA Swimming, USA Gymnastics. So large mm-hmm. national organizations, uh, US Youth Soccer, things like that. And then we have what it is like our small business. Uh, and those are organizations that are 15K or less. And so think about your Pop Warner Club, your, your travel volleyball program. There are hundreds of thousands of those organizations. And then, of course, we have K through 12, which is a different demographic um, that, you know, think about your private school, your public school district. These are all the organizations that we are now supporting. And then, of course, fitness I've described specifically around your boutiques. Uh, We're not riding lifetime. You know, we're riding small CrossFit gyms. We're riding F45s. Um, your 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 uh, orange theories and, and things like that. Those are the organizations that, on average, their premium is about five to ten thousand dollars, and we're rolling up that market. Okay, then um, let's see. Let's head back to the heading back to the beginning. We talked about how you, for first half of the company, you weren't thinking of of insurance. Um, how did you get started in the first place? I mean, you're you're well, you're former professional athlete yourself, um, Canadian, uh, Canadian league, um, receiver, I, I recall. I was, yeah. Rock receiver. I was playing for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how'd you, and just, how'd you go from that to starting this business? What was in between? That's actually a really interesting story. I think I had already started to take some MBA courses at the time. So, my rookie contract in the CFL was like $45,000 Canadian. So <laughs> I wasn't making a lot of money. I always tell people I spent more money trying to play professional football than I made playing football. Mm. Um, 
But I was a no-name. I went to a small Division II university, Winona State, here in Minnesota. And because I was tall, I'm 6'5", I was fast, I ran a 4340. Yeah, you're pretty I nice 40, I recall. You said exactly. I had an opportunity to play because I was. You can't not give a six five six uh, six five receiver that runs a four three forty a shot. So because of my upside, I had an opportunity to play at the next level. I came out of the draft, um, and I ended up going to Europe. Uh, I played in Germany for a year, and then I played in the Canadian Football League on and off practice squad things like that for about two to three years. And so I think coming out of that experience. I I had this idea of wanting to start this company specifically around injury management and sport and like team communication. I I got I just tore my hamstring off my tibia and I called my sports agent and I'm like, hey, uh, I'm not going back. I was I was supposed to go mm-hmm. back to uh, to camp. I mean, not to camp. We, we were on a bye week. I was supposed to go back in on Monday. I had my mm-hmm. flight to go back and I'm like, hey, uh, I want to start this company. And he's like, Ty, you're 24. You're in the best shape of your life. Like you, you shouldn't do this. <laughs> and he was trying to convince me to stay. Um, so I told him I was convinced. I'm like, hey, I'm done. And he was like, well, tell me about the business. He's like frustrated. And I tell him, and he was my first investor. So I oh, put wow. my own money and he matched me um, for my, uh, I put 80K of my own cash in to start, build the MVP for the mm-hmm. application that I wanted to create. And he matched me. And he was my first, he was the first believer, my first investor. And really that was, that's what got me into the game. And I had someone that believed in me early on, saw that I was committed to this and gave me the support I need to walk away from being just an athlete, which was how I identified myself mm-hmm. to now thinking about what the possibilities could be uh, of me being an entrepreneur would look like basically. That's amazing. I mean, just a huge, I mean, just, that's a different world. How I mean, how did you learn the million things you need to know to be a startup founder? Like you I made so many mistakes. I, I, I'll share a quick story about my first six months into the business. So I share with you, I had this capital that I raised along with my own capital bill, the MVP. Mm-hmm. So I got this quote from a development shop, about 75K to build the MVP. Well, 10 weeks into the project, they reached back out to me, Ty, you know, I think we underquoted you. It's actually going to be 150K. And I pay it thinking, hey, this is okay. You know, maybe I didn't have everything documented. And I still didn't get to a finished product. (laughs) That was my first six months into the business of building out an application. And that forced me to learn a ton. I learned how to code a little bit. Of course, I learned CSS mm-hmm. and HTML. I learned how to like not how to filter through bullshit. And it allowed me to be able to kind of think on my feet. But that was my first six months in entrepreneurship. And that lesson really forced me to start to kind of be more hands-on and not just assume what I was being told was true. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, that'll um that approach to IT will take you far. I <laughs> wish we saw a little more of that skepticism out there for such things because these overruns can just keep running and running and, oh, we're working on it. Um, we see that a lot. So, <laughs> um, how about like, I don't know, just like, like hiring people, fundraising, venture? How do you learn? Like, so, so that's the part about my career, I think, that I actually do well at. Um, 
I'm a people person. So I know people mm-hmm. and fundraising has has never been that complicated for me in the sense that I'm going to be I believe in what I'm doing. I'm going to I'm going to mm-hmm. be open about what I know and what I don't know and it, this is only the beginning. And so every person that I come in contact with, they know that I am so committed on this that I'm going to figure it out. And so either they invest now or they'll invest later when it's a lot more expensive and the company's further along. Mm-hmm. So fortunately, I've been able to build relationships with individuals that believe in me as an individual and then using that credibility and my integrity to continue to build and kind of pivot along the way. Um, I'll never I'll never give up. And I think that's what every investor that comes in contact, they see that this is more than just me trying to make money. There's a mission that I'm focused on here. And so mm. um, it, it has bode well for me on that. And then me being an athlete, I can get into a lot of rooms that most people can't. And that has also mm. helped me from a fundraising perspective. On the same coin of that uh, hiring, I think everyone that I come in contact with also see how committed I am on solving what is a massive issue in safety and sport. Like the, the headlines are there. You know, there's not mm-hmm. one week that doesn't go by that I don't see a headline of something happening in youth sports that we could support. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we do in our company on our all hands um, on Friday is at the end of the day, at the end of our call, one person, if they have an example, give an example of why we do what we do. Like what is happening in the market that says, hey, had we been involved, that probably wouldn't have happened or we would have mm. been able to impact it. Every week, there's an example. And so I've, I connect with individuals that see the vision of what we want to do or what we want to provide, which is creating a safer environment. And they've either personally dealt with some of the issues from an athlete perspective or they have kids that they want to make sure has a better experience when it comes to sports. So sports is sexy. But I think the problem we're dealing with is a massive problem. And I think we're taking an out-of-a-box approach to solving what those problems look like. Insurance, I don't lead with insurance. If I did, no one would come and work for us. But when 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 it's sports in the context of how we're using insurance to, to fulfill our mission, yeah. dramatically different response and allows everyone to think about the possibilities. And I love insurance. I think I'm, I'm a mm-hmm. rare in that. I love what insurance, it was built on a social good. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do with employers health and is how can we bring positivity back to what an insurance company provides for sports? Because without insurance, there's not one kid on a court field or ice playing any sport without insurance. Yeah. And we're just trying to bring a different perspective of how uh, how insurance companies are being viewed by, by our approach around thinking about their health and safety first. Yeah. I think the industry, I mean, you implied it there. I think the industry needs more mission-driven messaging. I mean, insurance is a thing that is there for you when every other institution is just like, I got nothing, sorry. It's the I mean, they feel make fun of the ads where like, the branch falls on the house or the person gets sick or the, but like, but that stuff's real. That stuff's real. And that's the, it's, it's the, it's a thing that's there when you've got nothing else sometimes is that check to help you with whatever needs to happen next. Or in the case of sports, um, it's the thing that allows the, the parents to feel safe, to have the kid there, to know that it's going to be okay. 
Absolutely. And I think it just comes down to alignment. When we talk about insurance from a, it's, yes, we talk about, you know, the, the tree falling on the, on the house and things like that. But I think what's more impactful is when Mm -hmm. you provide a real life solution, a real life scenario of how something happened and that claim was paid out. Like I always tell people about my mother's story. My mom, she passed away. Two weeks before she passed away, she got a life insurance policy. That policy went active a week before she passed and the claim was paid. No, Hmm. we don't tell those stories when in insurance. Like those are the kind of stories that we should we should tell to to put a different lens on the big, bad insurance companies. But it goes Mm -hmm. when you need it. Like you value that you actually uh, that that you got it. And I think, um, yes, there's definitely some messaging that we could do specifically around the services that we're providing. Also, I'm thinking that you're also hinting at it's not it's not just being there when something goes wrong. It's and we live in a litigious world. Correct. We we do. And 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 it has enabled a lot of economic good and and, and so forth by having all these rules and so and, and whatnot. So it's not just being there to make the payment when something bad happens. It's also covering the risk so that you're allowed to participate in the first place. So it's not just, yeah, it'll pay the check when I you know something happens to my car, but it's the ability to drive a car in the first place, knowing that if it were to happen, I wouldn't be able to drive. A hundred percent. And I think play sports. we talk no about back that. a bunch of kids running around on a field doing dangerous things. And I think more specifically in our use case, when we sit down with an organization, insurance is not something these organizations debate about having. They all know they need it. Yeah. I think the way that we are supporting them is that, I want to make sure that with our services, they never need to use it. And when, yes. whenever insurance is being used in sports, it's life changing. Like it's going to be life changing. And mm-hmm. a, in a, in a, it could be in a bad way. It could be catastrophic. You know, mm-hmm. last year we had an athlete uh, pass away. And mm-hmm. every time you get those kind of claims, you think about life dramatically different. And I think when we think about claims in our industry, specifically around kids, it's going to impact that kid. And making sure that that experience, making sure that we make sure that those incidents don't happen is our number one priority. So, yes, you have to buy insurance. Yeah. What can we do ahead of time? How can we be proactive to make sure that we never have to use this insurance? Because I guarantee you, if you have to file a claim, we're all going to be sitting around going, we wish we would have done something to prevent it especially when it comes to kids. And so I think when we were sit down with our organizations, our hope is that they never have to file a claim with us. And then we're focused yeah. on all of the things we can do pre-claim to make sure that mm-hmm. we mitigate the likelihood of these incidents happening. Hmm. So those things, I mean, you're talking about kind of this medical records sort of thing. We can get into, actually, I'm curious how I deal with HIPAA and things like that then, I, I, I presume. But What's the full list? Like, what do you, what do you, how do you prevent, how do you prevent claims? How do you make the kids, how do you make the kids safer? We talked about if, if, if the kid has a slight injury, making sure that they have their recovery time covered that. Um, what other things, what other things do you provide? So there's a couple things we do. I'll just take you through a day in the life of an organization. The first thing we do in an organization is they do, they go through a safety assessment. That's a 15 question survey. It's yes or no. Mm-hmm. 
And we start with policies and protocols. And that's where everything starts. When you have a with youth sports, we are literally in the wild, wild west. Like just think about a kid getting hit, beamed in the head with a ball and like the lack of medical resources we have. Like there's just a bunch of parents corralling around it. But when incidents do Mm -hmm. happen, if we have the right policies and protocols and everyone is educated on it, we can respond appropriately. So we start with getting a health assessment of how what policies and protocols do they have in place? Let's make sure that those are updated first. And then everyone wants to run straight to the technology. The organization's not ready for the technology until that foundation is laid. Yeah. And once we've educated the staff and the team on the policies and protocols, then we implement the technology. So we implement the incident reporting specifically around abuse. Now, say we don't do that. Say we don't work on focus on policies and protocols, and I just implement the technology. When an incident happens, no one will know what to do, and we're actually opening the organization up for more liability. It's important that that foundation is laid. Once we have the policies and protocols, they're publicly facing, they're on their website, then now we educate everyone exactly, this is where you go when this happens. So now everyone knows exactly where to go to report, very clear, up until that point, nothing, Mm -hmm. no one knew what to do when things happen. And then when the incident does come in, everyone that's a part of the organization that is responsible for the health and safety of an athlete can respond properly because they've been trained. And then, of course, we're going to look at ways that we can better this. So last year, we're going to look at all the incidents they had. How do we respond? What was the response time? You know, what was the, what rehab did we get? We're looking at all of that information to figure out what we, what are we going to change to make it better next year? It's not about shaming. It's not going to impact their, the, what they pay. Mm-hmm. We're only going to help them. And so all of the other resources that they need, like background checks, abuse awareness training, concussion mm-hmm. training, they get all of that for free or at cost when they go with us. So yeah. that's another big thing is that when they buy a policy, they get all of these services for free. And it's these are services that they well, would the have paid. There is huge. Exactly. Alignment. You don't want to claim. They don't want to claim. And then they're paying for it. So right now there's an organization paying $20 for a background check and another $10 for abuse awareness training. With us, that's 10 bucks. And you just got your background check and you got your abuse awareness training for 10 bucks. You just saved $20 a coach. And when you have 10,000 coaches, that's a big ticket item. So that's, that's a part of the cost savings that we have with these organizations is that they get to look at their risk management program comprehensively. And so, yes, it comes down to dollars and cents. We want to make sure that they can see that. That's awesome. What do you think? Um, we think the future holds. I mean, you're going to, you can keep expanding on this, but yeah. What do you, what do you take it from here? Well, I think the biggest focus that we have right now, um, and we're rolling out, we're building out an ecosystem to support organizations who are managing risk. And yes, we started with injuries, abuse. One of the bigger things that we're focusing on right now is financial risk. Um, And so some of the bigger issues that we see in youth sports is fraud and embezzlement. Well, we're actually launching a financial services arm of our organization that actually provides a bookkeeping and accounting service at a fraction of the cost that these organizations will have to pay. We want to get them away from using a volunteer treasurer. That volunteer treasurer is the crux of this whole thing. We need to have a third party. And the only reason why youth sports organizations have a volunteer treasurer is because of cost. Like if I go to a CPA 
to manage my books. I'm paying 100 bucks an hour. And these organizations can't afford it. We've structured a deal with one of our partners that allow for them to have those same services, monthly reconciliation, ARAP, and does their tax filing for 530 bucks a month. Huge savings for these organizations, but also reducing their financial risk, bringing more transparency to the organization. We are providing really a one-stop shop for these organizations to not only manage their you know, health and safety risk, but also managing their financial risk, which actually makes the organization run better. The kids ultimately have a better experience. And so it's about professionalizing youth sports. And, and hmm. we're now at that stage, you know, the, the light back in the day when we all grew up, 80% of sports was recreation. You know, you just went out and you played and 20% of it was like pay to play competitive. Now hmm. it's completely opposite. 80% of youth sports today is pay to play, try out to play. And parents are paying the average cost for a parent to play sports right now for a kid to play sports is $693. That's the average. We got organizations. I got a volleyball club. Parents are paying $4,000 a season. And that organization from a, how they manage capital, how they manage their resources, how they how they do bookkeeping and accounting has to change. They're no longer you know, mom and pop organizations, they are small businesses. So we're trying to help these organizations manage their organization like a small business, which allows them to operate with better controls and reduce their risk long term. So that's really where we're going. We're building the USAA for youth sports. We want to be the USAA for youth sports. We want to help support them with all of their health and safety, their PNC and, and uh, commercial insurance needs and all of their financial needs. Uh, and so all of these things are just examples of how we're surrounding that organization with services that are commodities, but we're reducing the margin. If there's an organization making money on commodities in youth sports, we want to kill that space. And our focus is to build more resources and services around that organization, increase our buying power, and then, of course, uh, grow our wallet share poor organization. Hmm. Fantastic. That's that. That's really cool. I'm I'm excited by that. Then, um, what are you doing for? Um, you probably you haven't played a pro sport in a little while, but you're still getting out. I understand you've been um, swinging a golf club or two. That's the thing. That, that, uh, anyone in the insurance industry, at some point, you're going to be on a golf course more than you you anticipate it. And I've they've gotten me. And the reason why I love golf so much is because it's it's. Every ball sport that I've ever played, I've been somewhat decent at it. Like I've been above average in some way in terms of my athleticism. This is the mm -hmm. one sport I'm terrible at. And I'm like, I got to <laughs> get good. <laughs> so I was doing triathlons and stuff. You I'm can't deal with art. this. I can't be mediocre at this. Like, <laughs> I was like, I, I got to get good at everything. <laughs> so I, I was doing triathlons and everything before this. I traded in my tri bike for a set of clubs. I think I'm going back in terms of my health, but I love the I love the game. It's hard, and, and that's what that's what keeps yeah, me coming it's, back. <laughs> it's hard. I tried it. I I just resigned at some point. I'm not I'm not going to be a golfer. Thankfully, um, our head of um, all our deployments in BizDev, Akine Equibo. I think you met him at Akine, Yeah, he's a fantastic <laughs> golfer. So I call him my designated golfer. Um, it was just. Last week, one of our investors had a had something they invited me to. And it would have been fantastic networking. And I'm just like, 
setting my designated golfer. He didn't oh, mind. Well, you got a ringer and it's it just worked, into the scrambles. <laughs> exactly. So that was pretty good. And then um, I understand you've, uh, you've, well, you're on the spectating end of football now and you, you've gotten even more attached to your home state there and your new home state of Minnesota, which is my original home state. I so love watching it. some things there with the Gophers. Yeah, and I think it's funny. So I've never had a college team up until this point. Now I'm still a Chicago Bears fan, like diehard, and we haven't been good. You saw them playing in the rain? <laughs> they won. <laughs> I, I'm going to take every win I get. It didn't look pretty, but yeah, we, 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 yeah. we win. But um, I, I'm now There's a new Gopher There's nothing pretty about that game. You see them slip and slide in the end zone? <laughs> it was terrible, but I'm going to take every win we can get for sure. Great. But I think on the college front, I'm now I'm now a Gopher fan. I love what Coach Fleck is doing, the culture, like everything about what that football team has been doing over the course of the past like two to three years. I just like what I'm seeing. And yes, they're playing better and they're playing well. Uh, but but the culture that he's building, I'm I'm a huge fan of like culture and mission, and the way that they're they're building young men and the way that they're um, investing into the kind of the personality and and, and the mm. character of these young men. That's what I love about the program, and that's ultimately why I believe that they're playing better because they're getting they're now being led in a in a different way. And that's ultimately how I want to lead our organization is that, yes, the dollars and cents matter and there are certain KPIs that we're going to focus on hitting. But I want to build an organization that challenges our individuals to be better people. And of course, if they're motivated to be better individuals, they're going to be better. They're going to be better citizens. Of course, they're going to be better employees. And of course, our company is going to be better in that. Um, I think it's directly correlated. So I'm really loving what um, what the Govers are doing over there on the football side. Yeah. Oh, me too. I mean, I grew up, they were, they were never good. Every now and then they get good at basketball. I remember they made the final four once when I was right. like, in college. It was really cool. Um, but football has always been a dog and I'm glad to see it come around. Last question then, um, for anyone watching, listening, um, what kind of person should pick up the phone, pull out their email and contact you? What are you hiring for? Who are you looking for? Um, I think that um, there's a couple individuals that we'd love to connect with. Number one, we're always looking for um, reinsurance capacity, specifically on the access space. If you look, access market right now around liability, specifically for abuse, tough market. So mm -hmm. we'd love to connect mm -hmm. specifically on the underwriting side, specifically around that. We are raising capacity for that. Um, we're always looking for great people, sales, uh, service. Mm -hmm. If this mission resonates with you in any way, we want to talk. Uh, because I think those are the right. uh, those are the kind of individuals that we want to connect with. And of course, um, if you're a sports organization, if you're a kid, if you volunteer on a board or anything like that, we want to connect with you. <laughs> or you run a fitness club, we want to connect. And so those are really the three uh, areas. I, I, I think it's a wide brush of individuals we want to connect with. Super excited to connect with everyone at ITC as well and be, be on a panel mm -hmm. with you, Dan. So just really appreciate you having me on again. And uh, thanks for allowing me to tell my story. Yeah, that'd be great. We're looking forward to seeing you September 20th. And um, fantastic. It's been great chatting with you. you I love well. the mission. I love what you're up to. Really appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of MGA Founders Podcast, brought to you by Socotra, the policy administration system modern enough to power today's most innovative insurtechs. Visit Socotra.com forward slash MGA to see why more insurtechs trust Socotra than any other core platform. You'll find links to future episodes in today's show notes. Thank you for listening and make sure to subscribe and help us out with the review.